wave or give them a high five this morning, welcome them to church. So we're going to continue to worship.
You know, the, the Bible says that the name of Jesus is above every other name. It says at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It says at the name of Jesus, demons must flee. Strongholds will be broken. And when we sing about that name, We have to understand and know how beautiful it is. How amazing that that name is. And how powerful that name is. Because the name of Jesus, you may be sitting here today or standing here today or watching online today and and you may think about it in your life you just you, you feel so chained up but at that name at that name you can be set free and uh, I'm going to ask them to go back and to, to sing that and what I really the part I really want to hear and I really want us to to grab a hold of is you have no rival. There is no equal. God, now and forever, you reign. There's no other name. There's no one else like Jesus. Sing it through one more time.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and, Father, to lift up your name. God, as we have worshiped you and in singing and giving praise with our voice, God, we worship you with our giving. God, as we go into your word, Father, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit will, will speak to us. Father, that we can leave here not only just hearing, but being transformed by the power of your word. God, may you do something in our lives. Father, that will change us and affect us for the rest of our life. God, we thank you. We ask these things in the wonderful, powerful, beautiful, precious name of Jesus. Everyone said amen and amen. Look at somebody and welcome them to Gateway Church. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, I see some faces uh, in this service that I normally see in the 930 service. Uh, and, and I might, I could be wrong, but I'm thinking that it may have had something to do with the time change. How many people would admit I just could not get out of bed this morning at an hour earlier? We've got a couple of honest people, three, four honest people. Uh, it, was, it was difficult. And uh, I, I've started, um, I, I made the comment, I said, we went to bed early last night. And my wife looked at me and she said, you mean earlier uh, than, than what we normally do. Um, but, and then when I got up this morning, I thought, it's not really 7.30, it's 6.30. And my body told me that. Can you believe that we are uh, almost... Easter. We are almost there. It is hard to believe. We were talking last night and, and my wife reminded me, she said it was a, a year ago this coming week that she got the phone call that said, don't come to work and find a way to work at home. And for the last year, that's what she's been doing. I'll never forget the time of year that it was, was because I was getting ready just like everyone else was getting ready for March Madness. And uh, it's, a, it's a time of year that most of the time people around here enjoy. Um, for some of you fans, it may seem like that COVID-19 has hit all over again because March Madness will not include some of your favorite teams. Uh, that, is that too soon? I'm sorry. I was just going to rele relegate that to Kentucky, but I even have a Duke fan here this morning. And uh, so uh, they've made history. Congratulations, guys. You all have made history uh, for not making the tournament for the first time since 1976. But not that I know anything like that, uh, the both of them together. Anyway, but here we are, and, and we are getting close to Easter. And it was a year ago that, that the world just stopped turning. And... Um, it's amazing, this will be the third Easter that we've been here, but it's only the second Easter that we're going to be able to meet together because we couldn't come together last Easter. So what I'm asking you to do is make up for lost time. It is proven statistically that you have a better chance of getting your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, 
your uh, person that you meet on the street, whoever it is, you have a better chance of getting them to be here and to come with you on Easter Sunday than the other 51 Sundays of the year. And so what I'm asking is, is that over the next few weeks, now don't wait till Saturday night before Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, and say, oh man, I haven't done that, and the pastor's going to ask me, and just shoot out a, you know, a mass text. Somebody come to church with me, please. I'm saying be intentional. Find someone and invite them to church for Easter Sunday. Uh, I believe that, that, that I am believing that for our 9.30 service and our 11.15 service, that there will be people here that need to hear how much God loves them. And uh, I'm depending on you in your day-to-day life to start asking now. Um, between now and then, we are starting a series today that I'm extremely excited about. And, and in this series, we're going to start focusing on and looking at different characteristics, different traits of Jesus. And here's why I want to do that. Because almost everyone has some perception of who Jesus is. Unfortunately, many times it's not truly based on Scripture. A lot of it's based on traditions. A lot of it's based on paintings. A lot of times we base it simply on religion, but it's not based on what the Bible truly says. So for the next three weeks leading up to Easter, my goal is for us to to talk about one of these traits, one of these characteristics every week. And why I want to do that is, is because when this is over, my goal is, is that we know him better, that we know him for who he is. I want you to, to be able to love him more. And the more that we get to know him for truly who he is, the more that we can love him. The passage of scripture that we're going to look at for the next three weeks is going to be sort of the basis for this series is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. Uh, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. Now, if you come to this church looking for something other than plain or simple, you're going to be disappointed because I am a plain and, and simple kind of person. And Paul said, first Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. And so for the next three weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, to each week, we're going to complete the phrase that says, Jesus is and we're going to fill in the blank. Jesus is, and this week it's going to be my best friend. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus wants to know you personally. Jesus wants to have that kind of relationship with you. How many of you have a nickname? How many, you have a nickname, yes. Uh, when I was born, my name was given to me was Jerry. I didn't. Did I say, I'm not, I don't think I've ever told that from here. Man. But my nickname, what people know me by, has always been JW. And anytime somebody says, Jerry, I'm, I'm turning around to, to look to see where my dad is. But when I was in college, I walked in, 17 years old, into a, 
Ellis Hall, which was the oldest dormitory at Lee College at that time. And I walked in, and the moment that I walked in, I met a red-headed guy with glasses, freckles. And, uh, you know, you're trying to figure everything out. And you, I walk up to him, and, and uh, he says, hello, my name is Clint. And so Clint and I, for the next couple of hours, we begin to, to develop this relationship. Now, I didn't know him that well. We had just sort of just met. So we're standing there, and, and all of a sudden, I hear coming from behind me someone. And I can see that, that Clint's eyes sort of light up. And I hear down the hallway somebody yell, Moose! And I, I'm like, is there an animal in here? What's going on? You know, should I run? And, and, and he goes around me, and he, and he goes to this person, and, and they embrace and you could tell that, that they had a, a friendship that was a lot deeper than my friendship with Clint. And so I would learn that they had known each other for a long time. And he was no longer Clint to this person. He was now and had always been Moose. So as I get to know him better, of course, I'm going to start calling him Moose. I, I almost forgot his real name. So he leaves college and, and he, goes to, uh, he goes back home at some point <coughs> and he meets this uh, woman that he's going to marry. And uh, there was a chance that I was able to, to, to go to Cincinnati around the area and, and to meet her. But one instruction that I got from Clint, he said, please don't call me Moose in front of her. She has no idea that that's my nickname. He said, I'm Clint. He should have never said that. I wanted that woman to experience the same thing that I had experienced at 17 years old when I first met Clint. And so I walk up, and we hadn't seen each other in a while, and we just, it was almost like the exact same thing. And he's standing there, and, 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 and I can see we make eye contact, and I yell out, Moose! And this female that he's engaged to turns around, wondering if she should run. And then he has to explain to her that I don't know him as Clint. I know him as, as, as Moose because we have a much deeper relationship. It went beyond just a formal name. And you may be thinking about it. I mean, I have a, a nickname for my daughter, and uh, I'm not going to... She's not even in here, but I'm not going to do it because somebody always tells on me. Every week I get in trouble, which I'm probably getting in trouble right now um, because I talk about her during service. And I said, honey, as a pastor's kid, that's just, you know, I did it. Your, your mommy did it. It's just, you got any pastor's kids in here? You always, you always, you always are in the sermon. It's what you're living. So here we are and, and we have nicknames. Why is that? It's because we get to know somebody at a deeper level than just superficially. Did you know that Jesus had a nickname? You say, what? Yeah, Jesus had a nickname. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we read this. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And we all, that's the verse that we always focus on because it, it shows us, it's the introduction to the Savior of the world, to Jesus. But Jesus was a common name. And in two verses later, Matthew writes this in verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So in this moment, they're saying that, yes, he is Jesus, but they are going to call him Emmanuel. Why? Because it means God is with us. And in that moment, we begin to realize that, yes, Jesus was God. Jesus was coming to save us from our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin. But it was even more than that. No longer was Jesus just a, 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 no longer did he not have a face. He went from this faceless being to now becoming, he's with us. And here's what I want you to, to leave here today knowing. There are so many people that know him as Jesus. You have had an introduction to him. You've allowed him to, to come into your life. You've allowed him to forgive you of your sins. But you have never, ever known him as Emmanuel. You've never truly grasped that he's God and he's up close and he's personal, that he's with us, that he is God, man. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And so today for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about Jesus, my best friend. In John chapter one, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So it says the Word became flesh. The stone tablets became flesh. Jesus just didn't come to teach on a hillside. Yes, that was an important part of his life. He didn't just come to give us instruction. There was much more to his life than that. As a matter of fact, he spent the majority of his life doing something else. You see, he didn't go into ministry until he was 30 years old. So from birth to the age of 30, Jesus was there experiencing life as you and I know. We have no evidence that any miracle was ever performed by Jesus until the age of 30 when he was at a wedding at Cana. And next week we'll talk about Jesus, the miracle worker. And we'll talk about that particular miracle. But today we know that until the age of 30, there's no evidence that he did any other miracle. He didn't show his miracle working power until then. So for 30 years, he spent being a human. He spent making sure that he experienced everything he could. Why? So that he could relate to you and he could relate to me. Uh, we learned that Jesus was a carpenter. We learned that, that he lived life. Hebrews chapter two, verse 16 through 18 tells us this. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for the angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham, 
That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. The Bible said he didn't do it for the angels. He came and walked on this earth so that he could experience everything that we would go through. And it says, now he's seated at the right hand of God. And he understands what you're going through right now. But so many people don't see him that way. But I say, you need to know God. You need to know Jesus as a friend. If you're going to comfort someone, your level of comfort can only be to, to, to the degree in which you have experienced. If you're trying to minister to someone, to try to help someone who's going through something, when you've been through that yourself, it makes a big, big difference. The level of your understanding of what they are going through goes to a different level. I was talking with someone this morning and, and, and they were telling me that they were having back pain. Now, two years ago, I would have said, you're getting old. I mean, I could have said, well, I'm praying for you and patted him on the back. And, but then for the last year and a half, up until about November of last year, I experienced excruciating back pain. And now when someone looks at me and says, my back hurts, I can say with confidence, I know what you mean. It's a lot easier for me to feel sympathy and to be able to help them through the situation. I can say, well, you know, here's what worked for me. Here's what didn't work for me. Here's what I had to go through. And, and, and when they start telling me, it's so much easier because that is what happens. The level of my understanding is there. But why? Because I've experienced it. That's what Jesus spent 30 years doing, preparing himself, going through stuff. There's three things that I want you to know that Jesus understands. And hopefully, before you leave here today, you can realize that the person, Jesus, who hung on the cross was fully human. He knew he could relate to what you're going through. The first thing I want you to know is that he understands relationships. He understands relationships. He understands family dynamics. Jesus had a family. We read in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. He says, isn't this the carpenter? That's Jesus. Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? That's four. Aren't his sisters here with us? Well, we know that's at least two. And they took offense at him. So we know that... that by this account, that Jesus had at least six siblings. How many people have, anybody in here have six kids? Five? Oh yeah, five. 
you are my heroes. Because I can, I, I've been around, you know, there were just two, me and my sister. And I know what it was like just for us. And it was constantly, leave me alone. Mom, he's doing it again. If you've got five, it's probably constantly, stop touching me. It's all the time. Fighting, yelling, bickering, picking on each other, you name it. So you can imagine that Jesus had at least six other siblings. He went through it. He went through it. Jesus knows what it's like to be single. He knows what it's like to have temptation. You say, well, there's one thing you don't know. You don't know what it's like to be married. Well, the Bible says that, and it describes the church as the bride of Christ. I believe Jesus knows what it's like to be married. And not only does he know that, he knows what it's like for his bride to be unfaithful. Jesus understands. Jesus had friends who betrayed him. Peter denied him in his time of need. I mean, his actual brothers and sisters, anybody ever had one of your brothers or sisters embarrass you? We've got one honest person here. Jesus, his brothers and sisters were actually embarrassed by him. We read in, in Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. It says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. So here Jesus is, he, he's beginning, and, he, and he's preaching, and he's doing this stuff, and, and they come to him and say, Jesus, you're embarrassing me. Don't pay no attention to him. He's lost his mind. Jesus understood relationships. He understood family. He knows the dynamics there. He's been through it. Secondly, he understands life. He understands life. We learned that Jesus had to get dressed and go to work. He had a job. I mean, religion has painted him in a manner that's really not consistent with what we read in the Bible. Uh, it was common back then that, that a child would enter, a, a son would enter into the family business around the age of 12. And we know that Jesus was a carpenter. And so from 12 until he took up ministry till the age of 30, he was probably doing carpentry work for about 18 years. So that is six times longer than he spent in ministry. But when we see pictures of Jesus and, and we try to, to relate to him, uh, we, we, he's been portrayed as, as a, a milky white skinned man with flowing hair and, and a robe and really soft hands. And, and you know if you work with your hands, now this is what I've been told. I mean, I may have a little callus right here. But you know that your hands become calloused. You know that, that, that you can tell when you used to be able to shake somebody's hand, you could tell when they worked hard. I mean, Jesus probably had a tool belt. I mean, if any good carpenter has a tool belt, right? When we started working on this church, I thought, I'm going to get me a tool belt. <laughs> Somebody had to show me how to put it on. Uh, it's either sold or in the corner somewhere. Hardly used. But Jesus was tough. He had to be. He didn't have a nail gun. 
He didn't have a power saw. He was old school. He probably had to deal with unhappy clients. I don't like the color of this. You messed up right here. He had to pay taxes. And all my tax people say, amen. April 15th. How much time do we have? Jesus dealt with it all. And by telling you this side of him, I'm not trying to take away from his lordship. Because that is important. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that Jesus was also a man. He went to work. He dealt with people. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. What I'm doing is trying to help you understand a trait about him so that you can relate to him differently. When you truly get to know someone, you begin to see them for who they really are. And if you really get to know Jesus, you'll see him for who he is, and then you'll start to treat him differently. You will talk to him different. You will worship him different. He understands life. Thirdly, he understands pain. Some of you are here today and you're in pain. Some of it's physical, but some of it's emotional. Emotional pain. Can I tell you that Jesus knows what you're going through? Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 tells us this. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. It's talking about Jesus. It says we rejected him. There's nothing that hurts worse than being rejected by your peers. There's nothing that hurts worse than being the 11th guy picked on a 10-man basketball team. There's nothing that hurts worse than being despised by being rejected. But this tells us Jesus went through it. Jesus knows what you're going through. So all the people who have been bullied or you feel left out or you've been rejected or you've been hurt or you've been despised, Jesus was familiar with suffering. Why? Why did he do it? So he would know. So he would know what you're going through. And he would know it before he even made it to the cross. And then we think about the pain that he went through. I mean, capital punishment back then was nothing like you could ever dream of or imagine. It's nothing like it was today or it is today. And when he did that, he said, 
that was for you. The next time that you hurt, the next time that, that you're hurting physically or emotionally, know that he understands and that he cares. He was man. He was a person. And then Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He understands. He did it for you. He did it for me. And all of this together, what it means is, it means that Jesus qualifies to be your best friend. He has all the qualifications. He checks all the boxes of what it takes to have that kind of relationship with him. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. says, one who has unreliable friends soon, soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. That friend is Jesus. And I couldn't think of, of any better way to start this series than to proclaim Jesus is my best friend. You say, Pastor, that sounds great. Pastor, I, I need that in my life, but, but, but how do I get there? What can I do? Well, the first thing you need to do is you just simply need to make him your best friend. You, you need to, to change your relationship status. Uh, you need to go from him being just a, a, a man on a flannel graph. You know, I was thinking about this first service. I, I don't even know that I was even, that I'm even old enough to ever had a flannel graph. But it seems like almost every sermon I talk about the flannel graph. And I don't know if it's just because I really wish I could have seen it. Uh, I'm not really that old. And I just want to declare that this morning. But he has to go from being just that Sunday school storybook man on a flannel graph. And he has to, to become your BFF your best friend forever. I know I needed to tell some people what that meant. I told them first service, I said, I probably need to find out because BFF was probably so yesterday. It's probably just last, and, and I'll probably get corrected. I'm glad they're in class today. Um, but Jesus said, there's going to be people, and there are people who only know him religiously. They only know what they've, and what picture has been painted of him. But he desires to be more than just your Sunday God. He desires to, to be more than just someone that you worship on a Sunday morning. He wants you to know him as Emmanuel, God with us. John 15, 15 says this, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from, the, from my father, I have made known to you. He's saying you're no longer a servant. I, I don't want a superficial relationship with you. I want to be your friend. He wants that kind of relationship. He understands relationships. He understands life. He understands pain. So you have to make him your best friend. What do I do? You just talk to him. Talk to him. 
Stop praying formally. When we have made prayer an event. Prayer is not an event. Prayer is, is, is it's a conversation with him all day long. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Well, the only way that you can do that is lock yourself in a closet. If it's an event, you lock yourself in a closet and you do nothing else because that's what without ceasing means, right? Now, the problem with that is most likely, most likely if you lock yourself in a closet 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're not gonna have a closet very long because they're gonna come knocking on the door because you haven't paid rent. You haven't paid the electricity. So when the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, if prayer was an, just an event, it couldn't happen. But what it means is, is it means that, that every day we can have an ongoing conversation, talk to him. I've explained it before, uh, like it being like a, a cell phone with text messages. And you always have that constant communication. I can be around somebody, maybe that I don't know very much, and, and, and in a matter of five minutes, they're saying, man, you get a lot of text messages. Or if I turn it off and set it down and don't look at it for 10 minutes, it takes me two hours to catch up on the things that I've gotten in the last 10 minutes. But what does that do? I stay connected to people. And we can have that same kind of relationship with Jesus. Just tell him what's going on in your life. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he's making intercession for you and he's making intercession for me. He's mediating. He's telling God about you. He's saying, Dad, I know they failed, but listen, I've already paid for it. Dad, I know they're struggling, but I remember what it was like. He's interceding not against you, but for you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It says we need to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And it says when you do that, when you just talk to God, it says you'll find three things. You'll find mercy, which is not getting what you deserve. That's what mercy is. You'll find grace, which is getting what you don't deserve. And you'll find help. How many people say, I need help? The Bible says that when you approach him boldly, when you have that conversation with him, you'll find mercy, you'll find grace, and you will find help when you need it. Jesus spent 30 years being a person so he could understand. You make him your best friend. You talk to him. You say, how do I do it? You say, God, can I tell you what's wrong? It's my job. The next logical question, well, what about your job? I got to go back tomorrow. Whatever it is, he said, just talk to me about it. Approach me boldly. If, if I have a friend, there are friends in my life 
And if you don't have a friend like this, I'm praying that you get one. But there are friends in my life that I know that no matter what, no matter what I'm in need of, I can go to them with confidence and boldly say, I need help. And they're going to help me to the best of their ability. But how much more refreshing is it to know that I serve a God who wants to have that kind of relationship with me, that I can go to him in confidence and say, God, this is what I need. God, this is what I'm going through. God, this is why I'm hurting. God, this is why I'm struggling. And know that he is God with us and that he cares. And not only does he care, he understands. You make him your best friend, you talk to him, and then you simply trust him with your life. You say, how can you say simply? Those same people that I know I can have confidence in, I would trust them with my life. Why? Because we have that kind of relationship. So when you start proclaiming him as your best friend, and then you put some actions behind that and you start talking to him and you make him a, a part of not just your Sunday, but a part of your everyday. Then when you do that, you have the confidence that you know with everything that's in you, you can trust him with your life. We've learned it. We've read about it. We've studied it. But it comes to the point that we have to apply it. Some of you sitting here today or, or watching today, you understand Jesus. You know the religious side of him. You know the forgiver of your sins, which is awesome, which is important, which has to happen for you to have this kind of relationship that I'm talking about. It's the first step. But he wants you to get beyond just knowing him as Jesus. He wants you to have that intimate relationship with him. This is, he's Emmanuel. He's God and he's with me. You have to know both sides of him. He wants to be up close and personal. John, first, John 1 tells us that, that those who put him, their trust in him, that goes beyond a superficial relationship. So many times we get to a point in life that we feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel like that no one understands, that nobody cares. And I've watched the last year just play out before my eyes and in people that I love and people that I care about. And I have watched the enemy attack them and get them to the point of believing that nobody cares, that nobody understands. He's isolated them. And what Jesus is, is wanting you to say, wanting you to know is that everything that you go through, everything, he understands. And not only does he understand, but he cares. And not only does he care, but he cares at a level of I've been there. I know. Makes all the difference in the world. It makes all 
the difference in the world. But we have to be able to grasp it. We have to be able to understand. And my prayer is, is that, that today that you understand and that you realize that he wants to be your best friend. And he will be the best friend you could ever have. You say, what makes you confident to say that, Pastor? It's because when I look around this auditorium this morning, let me just make sure. Everybody seems to be human. And what that means is, that means we're all going to make mistakes. And no matter how hard that we try, no matter what kind of relationship that we have with each other, there will be times that we'll fail. No matter how bad that I never want to let someone down, there'll be times I let you down. There'll be times that you do the same. That doesn't disqualify you from being a best friend. But when I say that Jesus will be the the best friend, the bestest best friend you could ever have, it's because I know that he'll never fail you. There's nothing too big for him. There's nothing that you can't have confidence in knowing that he can take care of. But he knows what you are going through. I want to ask you to stand right where you are. You may be here this morning and you may say, Pastor, um, I have asked Christ to forgive me of my sin. I definitely know him as Jesus. I know him as the Savior of the world. I know him as, as the reason that I'm not getting what I deserve. But pastor, I can't say that I really know him as Emmanuel. Because there are times that I wonder if anybody cares. There are times that, that I feel like that I'm all alone. And my challenge to you today is... is don't just accept him for what religion has painted him as. But I'm fairly confident that laid out before you today has been what the Bible says. And the Bible says that he wants to be your friend that will stick closer than anybody else that will never let you down, that will never fail you. You couldn't ask for a better best friend. So if you're here today and we're going to close service this way, we're going to sort of, for lack of a better term, we're going to get the ball rolling. The second thing that I said was, was that in order, once you make the decision that you want him to be your best friend, then you just got to talk to him. I've had people in my life that say, hey, yeah, you know, 
He'll say, yeah, J.W., he's my best friend, but I haven't heard from him in, since, since the last time their computer broke. That's not the way, you can't be that way with God. So however you're comfortable, however, whatever it takes for you to truly have a moment, a conversation with him, I can't have the conversation for you. I can't be the third wheel. It's you and it's God. So however you can do that, if it's standing at your seat, if it's kneeling at your seat, if it's coming to this altar, whatever it is, I'm challenging you. Make him your best friend and start acting like it. Tell him what hurts. Tell him what you're going through. Let him comfort you like no one else can. And if you're here this morning and and you're walking through something and you say, Pastor, I I need prayer. Here's two things that, that, that you will know about God and about this church. If God cares, if God is concerned, if Jesus wants to be your best friend, and if as a church we are striving to be like him, that means not, not only he cares, but we care. We are concerned. And if you're here this morning and you say, I just need, I just need somebody to stand in agreement with me, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Walk down and I can promise you that someone will be here probably faster than you get here because that's who we are. We want to walk with you. But however or whatever you need, now is your time. Don't let this moment pass you by. So Nick's going to begin to sing. I'm not not going to pray over this microphone. I'm going to talk to God for myself. And what I'm challenging you to do is to do exactly the same. And as Nick sings, just talk to God. And after you've done talking to him, then sing to him. Let him be your best friend. When I survey the
Father, we're thankful that, God, first of all, we're thankful that you went to the cross for us. God, we're thankful that we know you as Jesus, the Savior of not only our soul, but of the world. God, I'm also so thankful that God, you've given the opportunity to know you as Emmanuel. God, I pray that as I go through my everyday life, Father, that you will remind me continually that there's nothing that I face, there's nothing that I come up against, no place that I'll be that you haven't been first. And that when you went to the cross, you were able to do that. Because of the first 30 years of your life. God, as you sit, God, Jesus, as you sit before God today. Thank you for making intercession when I mess up, when I make mistakes, when I struggle. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you go with us as we leave. And that you continue to, to speak to our hearts, speak into our lives. Make us aware of your presence. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.